0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum ten dollars per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Yes, indeed. Good morning, and I am joined by our friend Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Good to see you. You Good made to see it you in. Too. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Left goodness. a little
0: early. Got up a little early.
1: How are the roads?
0: They weren't too bad. Not too bad. Certainly you no know, traffic. That's always that a helps. Yeah, yeah. It really does. Yeah. Change. So we could just take our time coming in. My husband Carl came in with me today. So
1: excellent. Well. um, we're going to talk lawns and gardens in spite of yeah, the below zero in spite weather of and it all. yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, did you guys get much snow? I think the we average probably
0: is got three, oh, three or four. Yeah, maybe like a maybe total. We'll get we'll end up with maybe six inches of snow or so. Yeah. Not as much as they predicted, but we were on the southwest corner of the cities, so we kind of got hit with it early, and now it's. Uh, yeah, but it's a good covering of snow. It's a nice light snow. That's great. It's not well, that we were heavy, talking, uh,
1: you and I, off air about what happened last year at this yeah, time.
0: Yeah, last year at this time it was in the sub, I don't know, minus 25, minus 30 degrees. And for no the snow cover. And no snow cover. Yeah, that's really harsh on our plants as well as uh, it does take care of some of the pests once in a while. That's kind of nice to one benefit of it. But it is really hard on plants. And we had a lot of calls over the past year of people who lost plants that were – Long time, tried and true, uh, just because, primarily because of those couple of weeks when it was so cold and there was no snow cover. That snow really acts as an insulator.
1: It really does, doesn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. And uh, and then we got dumped on in February. Remember, we got four That's feet right. of snow in right. February.
1: <laughs> Insult Yikes. to injury. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, uh, call it in or text it in. The Same number applies, 651-989-9226. For your phone call, Julie, or uh, send Julie a text if that's easier, 651-989-9226. All right, uh, we'll get some moderating temperatures here about midweek, Julie. But in the meantime, it's kind of chilly.
0: Yep, kind of chilly. Staying
1: at home where it's nice and warm, reading catalogs.
0: That's right, read your catalogs. uh, Think about your gardens and and make your to-do lists. Order your seeds. This is a great time to order seeds. Uh, the the inventory is usually pretty high, and and so you can get what you want. And there's a lot of options. There's a, I've got a stack of catalogs from all Do over. You? Yeah, all different kinds. Some are specialty, some are heirloom seeds. Some are. T- I have one called. I think it's just called seeds from Italy. And it's a little catalog, not very flashy, but it's pretty cool. It's got a lot of uh, really interesting fruits and vegetables and mm. it. Yeah, beans in particular. I remember there were a lot of beans that I'd never had. Before so that's a great seed catalog and and of course there's online catalogs too and and looking at tropical plants those are always fun to order and
1: and besides that Julie visit uh, your garden centers and go to the web U of M website
0: yes go to the U of M website questions if we don't get to your questions today or if you have questions down the road that the extension website is a great resource and it's at extension.umn.edu and you could click on or, or Google or search for Yard and Garden, and, and we'll pop right up. And the very first thing you see there is our Yard and Garden news, which is our, uh, you can subscribe to that, to that and get an alert every couple of weeks of, of new and exciting articles that we're writing, pretty cool stuff. And uh, it's always current. It's always what we see as educators uh, going on right now. So things that we're experiencing, things that other people have talked to us about, and so it's a great, uh, great publication. So you can subscribe to that and get that alert every two weeks in your email box.
1: Perfect reading material. Perfect I mean, reading material. you What I've used it for is, is if I wanted uh, to uh, plant a certain tree right. or a shrub.
0: Right. Or if you want to find a tree or shrub. Yeah. Uh, we do, thinking about seeds, we have some very good uh, web pages about how to start seeds, how to choose a healthy plant. Uh, how to, thinking about your vegetable garden, if you're interested in raised beds, for example, we have a a webpage on how to do raised beds. So as you're thinking about your gardens, that's a great resource to go to at extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden.
1: All right, we're going to go to the phone calls in a moment. Call in your questions for Julie, your lawn and garden questions, or send a text. We're going to grab both phone calls and text when we come back from this quick break. Here on News Talk 830, WCCO, it's twenty six. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here with Julie Wisenhorn from the University of Minnesota, helping you out by phone and by text. And as you can see, Julie, we have a bunch of both. So yes, let's uh, get that's uh, great. back to it. There's a line open if you want to fill it with your garden question or lawn question 651 989 9226. Let's go to Gary, who's calling in from uh, St. Louis Park, I believe. Gary, you're on with Julie. Hi, Julie. Good morning, Danny. Morning. Morning. Um,
2: J- Julie, we received a, a beautiful poinsettia plant from nice. our church when they took the Christmas decorations down. And I'm wondering, what's the best way to maintain that so it, it will last as long as possible?
0: Well, that is a great question and one I bet a lot of people have because uh, poinsettias are one of the uh, most popular of the holiday plants out there, and they come in all colors. Bright red is the traditional poinsettia color, but also you'll see them in pink and white and kind of pink and white and white and red. Uh, You'll also see some that are painted or sprayed, blue or orange. Uh, They have glitter on them. They're quite flashy. Um, I'm like you, Gary. I like the traditional red, and poinsettias, there's a couple of things to know about them. They like a nice sunny window, and probably what kills them or makes them uh, go downhill fastest is overwatering. And also poor drainage. So your poinsettia might have come in a foil wrapper around a plastic pot. And what you want to do is take the plastic pot out of that foil wrapper so that the drain holes are visible, set it in the sink, and then water it and let it drain really well. Then you can put it back in the, in the wrapper. Or if you put it into a decorative pot too, you can set it in the pot. The most important thing is not to water it and let it sit in water. Uh, and just keep it moist. You're going to have to feel it probably every day or so. And uh, it, and if it, the top few inches feel dry, then give it a, a, a good soaking in the sink and then set it back in that sunny window. That's the one thing that, that kills those poinsettias the fastest. And we also have an excellent uh, publication on poinsettias. You can get to it through our Yard and Garden News, the newsletter that I mentioned earlier in the show. And that link is on our Extension Yard and Garden page at extension.umn.edu, and go to Yard and Garden. It's the uh, and click on Yard and Garden News. You can also get there through our House Plants page as well. So oh. Good information, and I would if you've got that beautiful poinsettia, take a look at that web page.
1: Thanks, Gary. Thanks for the call. Gary leaves that line open if you want to call in your lawn and garden question for Julie six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Uh, Norm is next up on the line from uh, Pease, Minnesota. Norm, you're on CCO. Good morning.
2: Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. You sure. bet. My name is Norm Anderson. I'm a Benton County Master Gardener. Hey, all right. Yes. Thank you. I live in Malax County, about three miles west of Pease, and I sure. have Black Angus cattle out here today, and they really stand out in the <laughs> snow today. <laughs> I bet
0: they Winter interest, yeah. right? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: And uh, we're currently doing our 14 core. Master Gardener course refresher in St. Cloud now. So, I have a question that happened to kind of just roll out of that session. And I would like a little clarification on the Scotch Pine. And uh, the botanical name there is Pinus, P I N U uh, S S Y L V E S T R I S. Sylvester. And now, my question is what is the difference really between the East Angelica, A-N-G-L-I-A, and the Scots Highland. And uh, the information I found is the East Angelica is more for windbreaks, and the Scots Highland is more for evergreen Christmas trees. And is there a difference in needle length and this kind of thing, or what information should I know about this Scotch pine? that I can give to my uh, people that I consult with?
0: Oh, my goodness, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. Man, that is a tough question. I am not that well-versed on this different uh, species of the scott pines, uh, also called scotch pines, by the way, Scots pine or scott pine. And um, scott pines are, uh, have kind of twisted needles a little bit. They, I think they come in pairs, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm doing this out of my brain here. So um, I'm going to guess that if one is for a Christmas tree farm and used for Christmas trees, it probably shears better or prunes better uh, into those traditional shaped trees. And uh, it could be that the needles are not quite as sharp. Scott pines traditionally have very sharp needles. And so they may be a little bit softer or denser as well. Might be a little bit longer than the uh, Eastern Angelica. Uh, You'd want to look also on uh, if there's a different species name for those two. I don't know that off the top of my head. Uh, They might also grow in different conditions, slightly different conditions. One might be a little more adaptable, maybe the Christmas tree farm, uh, Scott Pine is, And, uh, and therefore it's a little bit easier to grow, you know, quantities of that tree versus maybe that Eastern Angelica is a a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, maybe gets larger as well. That's the other thing. You mentioned it was for a windbreak. And that tree might just get to be taller and maybe a little bit denser. Maybe it's better with winds like the ones we're going to be experiencing coming up. And the Christmas tree is maybe just more manageable for a Christmas tree grower. Those are my guesses. Uh, that would definitely be something you could probably give a call to a Christmas tree grower and ask. We have some tremendous growers here in Minnesota, and probably up around your neck of the woods, you've got one or two around you, Um, that might be a possibility. And uh, otherwise, you could look at, uh, if you wanted to find a Christmas tree grower and ask them, that would be um, somebody that uh, you could find in the Minnesota Grown Directory. That's a a great uh, directory of different uh, kind of specialty crops that we have here in Minnesota and lists of people who grow them. The other person that you could contact is if you have a, a certified arborist in uh, Peas or in the area around your uh, where you live. And you can find somebody there on the International Society of Arboriculture website and find uh, a certified arborist and ask them the difference between those two. They might know as well. I'm sorry I don't have a totally conclusive answer for you, but uh, thank you for being a Master Gardener. Master Gardeners do an amazing amount of fantastic horticulture education around the state of Minnesota, and it's all volunteer. So uh, we really appreciate all that you do. You're our extension of extension for horticulture.
1: good way of putting it. Thank you, Norm. Now, Norm, like you said, uh, said he was a master gardener. Are more men getting into that, the end of the Well,
0: I think so. Right now we are in, as Norm said, we're in the middle of our uh, core course training. So we have the largest group of master gardener volunteers going through the core course training. So this is 48 hours of a combination of online and in-person classes. And we have uh, 310 people taking the course. Wow, That's uh, the most that I recall when I was state director was 250. So that's quite a bit. Uh, Quite a a large number of people. We have 28 people who are taking the class uh, solely for their own professional development. It's called the ProHort. It's something people can do, uh, and it doesn't have a volunteer attachment to it, but you can take it for your own education or for continuing education units if that applies to your position. And uh, these uh, folks will then go out into the 75 or so counties. We have 87 counties in Minnesota, and I believe 75 have Master Gardener programs through their counties, and do amazing good work in community education around horticulture, gardening, yards, lawns, etc., insects, pests, all of that. So we are excited about that this year. Half, and the demographics have changed. Master Gardeners have traditionally been thought of to be mostly retired. Sure. And 50% of the of this year's class are under the age of 50.
1: That's exciting.
0: Yeah, that is very exciting. We're so happy about that because that reaches a whole nother demographic of the population that maybe we weren't uh, reaching before, but... Um, we're always excited to have people from all different kinds of backgrounds join the Master Gardener program. It, it brings so much richness to the program.
1: Fantastic. Good. You and I were talking about seed catalogs, and we had a text earlier. Yeah. Text says, just received my new Seed Savers catalog right. yesterday. What's that?
0: Right. So, Seed Savers is a company out of Decorah, Iowa that has specialized and become known for. Uh, uh, knowing a lot about and providing a lot of heirloom seeds these are seeds that have been saved many 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 years over uh, their traditional seeds and people have kept them going and kept them uh, kept the plants producing so that they can save those seeds from year to year some of them are hundreds of years old.
1: How do you save seeds? How do you?
0: Um, well, saving seeds has to do with collecting them at the right time when the plant sets seed and then saving them, letting them dry out a little bit and then saving them in a cool, dry environment so that they don't mold, they don't uh, freeze. You don't want to put them in a freezer, per se. Uh, and, and then keeping them uh, and planting them the next year, starting them next year oh. and continue to collect them every year. These are open-pollinated varieties, meaning that they are not crossed. They just, you know, the pollinators are out uh, moving pollen around within those plants, and we're keeping those varieties going. Sounds kind of fun. Yeah, it's very exciting, actually. It's kind of real cool when you get into the details.
1: Hang on, Julie. We need to take a a quick break. Uh, Keep in mind we have about another half hour of the show to go, so don't wait if you have any kind of of a lawn or garden question for Julie. Call it in or text it in. Same number applies to either. 651 989 9226. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long joined by Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M and callers. Julie, at have yeah. texters. Uh, I tell you what, well, let's, let's grab some callers here So, who have been waiting on the line for a bit. Beth is uh, calling from uh, Iowa. Where exactly in Iowa, Beth?
2: Northwest Iowa near just close to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Right.
1: Right. Oh, very good. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. What can we do for you?
2: Well, I like to grow mandavia. Um, when I buy it from the greenhouse it, you know, blooms beautifully. Sure. When I try and keep it over the winter, uh, down in my basement under grow lights. And I do have a small greenhouse, I put that out, put it out there when I can. Okay. And it won't bloom till the end of the summer. And okay. I do fertilize. Um, so I don't know, do you do you keep any tropicals over the winter?
0: I do keep tropicals. I have some ginger right now and uh, a number of orchids and other plants. But I think what I've understood about Mandevilla, and I've kept them over the winter too, uh, is that they, uh, they still need a sunny window, and you've got them under grow lights. So maybe you need to extend. I don't know how long your grow lights are on, or how, uh, but maybe extending that might help. Uh, the other thing about mandevilla is they're uh, big feeders, I understand, too. So you might want to, um, when you start to see new growth on it uh, coming, you know, maybe it's starting to put out some new leaves, uh, new stems, then you would want to be fertilizing at half strength. And I would do it probably about every other time you water it. Uh, and then once it starts to really get growing uh when the wet, when you get maybe a sunny window it, you know gets uh you get longer days you can maybe move it up out of the artificial lights and move it up into a sunnier window in your house um as far as why it doesn't bloom until the end it could be that uh it's not maybe it's uh not getting maybe it needs to be repotted before you put it out you could repot it uh, cutting it back might be helpful too uh, to keep it uh, kind of every time you make that cut you produce some more uh, growing branches growing uh, points and that might help with the blooming as well you could also give it in the spring once you get it outside is give it a, a a fertilizer that's more geared toward blooming that would have a higher middle number which is your phosphorus number and that would kind of push it into probably blooming as well it's a tough plant to keep it's uh, I've I've only had luck with one or two of them, and uh, they look pretty lousy during the winter. Uh, lose a lot of leaves, and uh, and I would kept I kept cutting it back too to keep it manageable in the house. So, um, but maybe give it give it a shot, especially that fertilizer in the spring once you get it outside.
1: All right, thanks, Beth. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll grab some text messages in a moment. But Dave is calling from Robbinsdale, I believe. Uh, Dave, you're on CCO. Good morning. Dave, are you with us? No, Dave is gone. you
0: will have to call back.
1: He should call back. Uh, Texter says, I'm already uh, looking towards spring, but my spring Easter cactus is wilting. Can you give me some growing tips?
0: Okay. Well, uh, Easter cactus is, uh, I can't remember the genus of it. I won't even try to say it because I can see it in my head. But uh, it's a different, uh, there's Christmas cactus and Thanksgiving cactus, and those are two of the same uh, uh, there are two different species of the same genus Schlumberga, and uh, and they bloom as their names say, usually in the fall. They're uh, photoperiod plants, meaning that as the days shorten, they will start to bloom. Easter cactus is a little bit different because it actually blooms in the spring. So, uh, and it's a different genus and species altogether. It's a different looking flower as well. Uh, but when these plants start to wilt, one thing they all have in common is that if they are not well draining, they can easily contract root rot, meaning that the soil is perpetually wet and the plant has not got a chance to drain well. The roots need air and they need uh, dry conditions as well as the moisture from, the, from watering. So what I would do with that plant is I would take it out of the pot and I would uh, kind of clean off the roots if you can, take a look at the roots. And assess that. And if you see that the mm-hmm. roots are mushy or that they're kind of brown or gray colored or that there are no roots, that's your answer is that you've got root rot. If you have a substantial, if you have like about 50% of the roots there, you, uh, you could repot it then in a nice all-purpose potting soil. Uh, or you could use also a cactus potting soil as well, maybe add it uh, and then put it into a well-draining pot and kind of get another start on it too. We do have a great web page on our extension site on holiday cacti. And when I wrote this, I included the Easter cactus in there as well as the two species of Schlumbergera, the, the, what we call the Thanksgiving cactus and the Christmas cactus. So you can take a look at that website too. And you can get to that at extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden and go down to the house plant section and you'll find holiday cacti. So that'll give you some tips as well.
1: All right. If you have a lawn or garden question for Julie, call it in or text it in. Same number, 651-989-9226. Texter says, when is the best time to prune flowering crab apples? I always prune in late spring with apple trees, but have also heard best to prune it after flowering in late spring.
0: That is wrong. Which is wrong? That is, both of them are wrong. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Um, both for apple trees, uh, production apple trees as well as crab apples. You want to you want to prune those in late winter before they break bud. This is before the buds open up, and the reason for that, uh, you can start. You can think about pruning those. I would say in February or March, and the reason for that is that the plant is still dormant, and also the pests that can. work their way into those wounds are still dormant. It gives the plant enough time to heal up before pests such as, uh, you know, diseases and insects uh, that might harm that tree are out and moving around and and in the environment and active again. So you want to prune crab apples and apple trees in late winter. And so certainly, uh, so February, end of February, early March, that will give the plants long enough time to uh, to heal up. Now, with changing climate that we have and sometimes we get earlier springs if you want to prune those in uh january february you also could do that as well if you want to just if if we're projected to have a warm early spring and i don't know that right now what our what the uh, forecast is for that the long term but uh but you want to all you want to wait and prune those plants in late winter do not prune them after blooming that is not the the best practice
1: okay very good. 651-989-9226. have got a call in, Julie. It has nothing to do with lawns or gardens, <laughs> but the Eden Valley Sportsman's Club canceling their fishing contest today. Oh,
0: I don't blame them. I don't either.
1: Although, However, the prize drawing will be held at 3.30 this afternoon. Okay. Very good. Good to you know. All right. Thank you for that. Again, uh, call in or text in your lawn or garden question for Julie. Here's another text. I have a large amaryllis bulb that sprouted a new set of leaves that are coming up along the side of the bulb. Is that a second bulb that was formed? Uh, What am I going to do with it?
0: That is correct. It's called a sport. Uh, And uh, it is just a, that's how those bulbs propagate, is that they produce these uh, little bulbs along the side. My mom had an amaryllis bulb. I wonder if she's listening. And it had 16 sports coming all the way around it like a big crown. And the center bulb actually died out. And we threw that away, and then we we planted up these small bulbs. Now you can do that if you if you choose to, but bear in mind that that small bulb is probably not going to bloom for quite a few years. It's too immature; doesn't have enough energy built up in that little uh, storage facility of it of the bulb. And so, uh, but you can leave it on the existing plant, and just when it gets big, uh, then you can take a nice sharp knife and cut those two apart, or just break them apart too. You want to have roots mm-hmm. on both, though, when you do do separate uh, amaryllis bulbs, make sure that you've got enough roots that both bulbs are going to have a substantial amount of roots. Otherwise then, you know, they're not going to grow. So, um, but yeah, it's called a sport.
1: A sport. You know, we always, uh, this show is <laughs> like to, uh, to kind of do a shout out for the Arboretum.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I was just there yesterday and
1: it's free, right? For the January, the month of January That's right.
0: through the month of January, it's free, free admission, and free admission, Yep, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Actually, today, if you are not having to drive too far and the wind doesn't kick up too much, when it sounds like it will, but this snow is beautiful out there for uh, walking, and they have uh, snowshoes. I don't. I wonder if they're even open today. Maybe they're not. I don't know. I you might want to call before you go That's good just point. because of the weather. Yeah. It's hard for staff to get there, too, and, and we ne- need to make sure that we've got enough people out there to take care of everybody. But when you do, when it is open and you're ready to go, uh, head on out there. And they have snowshoes that you can rent. You can cross-country ski. You can just walk the trails. The gardens are beautiful in the winter. And one of the best things about visiting the Arboretum in this time of the year is that you can see and make note of plants that have great winter interest. Mm. And they might be something that you say, wow, that would look great in my yard. I've always wondered what to put in that corner. This is a good idea, and you can just make a take a photograph of it, take a picture of the sign to the name of the plant, and uh, and you don't even have to write anything down. That's a good that's idea that I you do. call first, but then yeah. you can you don't I'd have give to give them a call just today. I'm not really sure if they're open or closed.
1: You don't have to do any outside thing. There's nice and warm inside. That's right. Yeah.
0: That's right. There's a conservatory, and that has beautiful orchids blooming. Uh, there's all sorts of displays and exhibits. The Anderson Library is a wonderful place to go and look around. Uh, and uh, check out some of the, not check out the books, but look at the books. It's a non-lending library. Oh, okay. And you can eat out there, too. Great just restaurant. Go,
1: go west on Highway 5 to west 41. West on Highway
0: 5 to 41. Just
1: That's beyond correct. that uh, intersection.
0: Yeah, just beyond that point. All right.
1: Hang on, Julie. Quick break is in order. Then we'll come back and uh, talk lawns and gardens some more here on WCC. Call in your question or s- send a text. It's the exact same number, 651-989-9226. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are here on CCO every Saturday in the eight o'clock hour. Uh, we are glad that Julie Weisenhorn has uh, taken the trip.
0: Oh yeah! On this uh, wintry day, I'm a day. Minnesotan. i corner of was born in Rochester. That's yeah. You yeah, are Rochester this is Nothing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Famous last word, right?
0: I've got my Sorrells on and my parka. You know, and
1: there's no bad weather, just bad clothes. That's right? Right. That's
0: right. You can do anything with the right footwear. I always say
1: 651-989-9226 two two six. We'll get you a phone call or text. Message to Julie. It's like Here's a lot of one. A lot of them. I want to freshen up. Texter says, "My uh, perennial gardens in the spring. Do I need to take some existing soil out before adding new?"
0: No, no. Just uh, I would first get a soil test. That's the first thing. Find out where you're at with your soil, and the soil testing lab at the U of M can do that for you. I think it's about seventeen bucks to do it, and you get a wealth of information plus good mm-hmm. interpretation of that information to help you understand what it means. And uh, so get that done first. And likely it's going to, you know, maybe require some amendments like uh, compost added to your existing soil. You do not need to take out soil. In fact, we uh, discourage that because it's better to take your existing soil unless you have pollution contaminants in it like lead or arsenic or something like that. Uh, and that's a separate test. Those are separate tests. But if, you're lo- if it's been growing pretty well, and you just want to uh, you find out that you're low in organic matter, which the test will tell you, uh, then you would just add in some compost to that, to the existing soil. You don't need to take out soil and replace it. What happens when you do that is if you were to take a big scoop of soil out of your garden and replace it with, say, some black soil that you've gotten from a vendor or a mulch store or something like that, that is going to create almost like a bowl effect. You would have to really till it into all of the, all of the uh, existing soil around it, and, and you don't know where that soil comes from. So it's, it's one thing when you're starting a bed uh, or you've got uh, you know, a low area that you need to, but you want to turn that in and mix it into the existing soil. You don't want to remove soil. So, uh, so get a soil test. And then follow the soil test guidelines, and that uh, that's probably all you'll need to do.
1: Realize that there's, you know, we're talking below zero, and there's snow yeah. on the ground. But w- when when <laughs> when we can get into the, uh, you know, the turf, the garden, yeah. uh, To send, oh. what is is there a, uh, directions on the website about how to do that? Send it, get a soil test. Yes, there is. Yes, go under ahead.
0: the soil, go to extension.umn.edu yard and garden, and go to soils, and uh, it will help you with that. So. Uh, that is just fine. Good.
1: Back to the phones we go. Mark is calling from Crystal. Mark, what can we do for you?
2: Well, uh, I had problems with squash this year. Uh, my peppers and tomatoes and beans all grew fine, but my squash and cucumbers I uh, had a terrible time with. When they first came up, the leaves were, like, cupped and curled, mm. and it took them forever to grow vines. Once they grew with fine, then they got fruit on them, but it all came so late that fruit never really uh, ripened.
0: It sounds, and, uh, well, when we see leaves that are cupped shape, it sounds, my first thing I think about is herbicide damage. That somehow there was a spray applied or a drift, and it, it drifted onto those plants. Uh, especially if they're all cupped like that. I'm surprised the other plants, Maybe they're maybe they're located in a different part of the garden than other plants are. But that's my first thing I think about is that cupping is uh, very symptomatic of herbicide damage.
1: Okay. Very good. Great. Uh here's Oh, and
0: we have to mention about the arboretum because oh, it is yes. open today. Carl checked on Carl that. Carl checked on that. They are open. Come on out. It's a beautiful day to be out there.
1: Glad you brought that up. That's that's good. Thanks, Carl, for checking on that. Uh Thanks, honey. Texter says uh She's saying that to her husband, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, not Denny. Just <laughs> not that, not that, that, that I would call you honey, Oh, I know. But, uh, you know.
1: Thanks, sweetie. Listen, um, here's a te- text that says, we started a pollinator garden two years ago. This is a sad story. Had great success. Unfortunately, our municipality sprays for mosquitoes, and one day we had dozens of butterflies reduced to one the next day. Lots of dead and dying to oh, our dismay. We asked the city to not spray our area to no avail. Should we till up our garden and plant grass again?
0: Well, I I have lots of questions about this. Um, And the first one is, where is the garden located? Is it located on... uh, Clearly, it's located on land that the city sprays. That's evident. Uh, Could be a boulevard, could be a roadside area. Um, I would have hoped that they would respect your wishes and not spray it, but, uh, you know... That's that's a whole another conversation that you'd have to find out from them why they have to spray that area. The other thing I would think about is, um, and this happens when you plant on areas that are uh, where there's a easement or access uh, from a municipality, and they have uh, you know policies and rules and laws that they have to follow. Um, it doesn't sound like they sprayed there inappropriately. Other, uh, in other words, they were they had jurisdiction to spray there so my concern would be to move your pollinator garden to be honest I would move it onto your property where they are not going to be spraying Um, they shouldn't be spraying when there's when it's windy that's another thing because that causes drift and uh, and so you might want to investigate about that Um, so I would I'd continue to have a dialogue with your city and a a respectful conversation Mm -hmm. about that uh, lots and lots of municipalities are encouraging homeowners to plant for pollinators, especially in areas that are kind of unused areas and uh, and so i would um, I would talk with them about that now. One thing to bear in mind about mosquitoes is mosquitoes carry a number of diseases. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is a public health issue when mosquitoes can get out of control. So spraying for mosquitoes can be an important thing that that, uh, municipalities do from a public health standpoint. So just bear that in mind when you're talking to them. They're not out there to kill off all of the pollinators and and, uh, beneficial insects, but they are trying to control what could become a really serious public health issue. So I think a respectful conversation about that and maybe asking them, where can I plant this? What would be a good place to do this? And working with them instead of, you know, fighting with them. Not that you are, but um, but I would uh, have the conversation with them sooner than later.
1: Tell you what, we have a short time here, but Alice is calling from beautiful Lindstrom with a question. Alice, oh, good like morning. Lindstrom.
2: Morning. How are you, guys g- and guys? This morning, we're staying. We warm. are good. Thank you.
1: What can we do it for you, Alice?
2: I was given an amaryllis at Christmas time, and it came in a um, light bulb shaped container. And instructions were: do not water. Oh yeah. And it's it came with about an inch of um the stem. Sure. Just sat there and now it's about three inches tall and I can't believe that it doesn't need any water. Can you tell me anything about why it doesn't and uh, will it grow to be like a quote normal
0: amaryllis? <laughs> well, this is a new trend and it is for interior design where the bulbs are literally dipped in a waxy substance and it uh there i don't know what they do to the bulbs before they do this but this wax prevents a you don't have to have a pot you don't have to have soil you grow this uh i think you would grow these more as an like an annual bulb like you would just let it bloom and once it blooms you throw it out um i don't know of anybody if there's anything where people take the wax off and they pot it up and they continue to grow it that way but but it's for putting on like tables and uh, places where you can't have a pot or don't want a pot a lot of times are used for centerpieces it's just kind of a trendy new way to grow amaryllis for the blooms and then they're kind of done after that personally it's not Mm. my favorite way to grow amaryllis I like to carry them you know have them year year after year and you can still buy just unwaxed bulbs as well but that's what they're for so yeah the the whole uh Focus is no watering required. Just set them out and let them grow. So, again, I, I don't know if they soak the bulbs in water and then they dip them in this waxy substance, but they're uh, supposed to be just for, like, centerpieces and mm. kind of a trendy thing.
1: We have 60 seconds to go, Julie. Let's grab a quick text. Should peace lilies be fertilized?
0: Uh, anytime, particularly houseplants, kind of the rule of thumb is once you see new growth on your houseplant, whether it's leaves or budding, Uh, or new stems, then you would want to do a half-strength fertilization and probably fertilize it, uh, you know, once a month or so. Um, uh, Some plants that are really actively growing and maybe putting out a lot of flowers at the moment, they could use a little bit more uh, fertilizer, you know, maybe every time you water while they're flowering. But it's really the rule of thumb is when you see new growth, then you start to fertilize at half-strength.
1: Let's get that website at the U of yes, M. Yes,
0: extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden. Remember, the Arboretum is open today. Beautiful place to go. And get looking at those seed catalogs and making some plans. Absolutely.
1: Thank you, Julie. It's Thank good you. to see you and Carl again. We'll uh, be back with more Lawn and Garden Talk next Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?